All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it, as always. On today's episode, it's going to be heavily focused on the NBA playoffs as we are just about into round two with some major players and teams not not making it into the second round. So we'll discuss those first-round matchups and look ahead to our next series, see what lies in store for us there. Spoiler coming up here, probably our best matchup of the postseason will be in the second round upcoming here, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. We'll also catch up on the NHL playoffs as we'll, as since they uh, are now well into their second round of the postseason and moving right along here. Great games through every series so far. I mean, I told you, playoff hockey was probably the best of the four major sports, and if you didn't believe me, you probably didn't watch some of the series from round one. Just phenomenal. So we'll, And then we'll finish off with my final thoughts on the day. No need for any NFL talk on this episode, really. I mean, a little bit of a holding state until training camp or we get any actual new Aaron Rodgers news or until Julio Jones gets traded, which has not happened yet. I mean, the only thing that's noteworthy, and I'll just give it to you right here, I guess, is June 1st has passed, which makes it a lot easier for teams to trade players on bigger contracts, i.e. Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, Stefan Gilmore, etc., because it allows a ton of cap flexibility for the team trading said player. And it's all about the cap when a lot of these players get traded. Otherwise, uh, unless you also consider Julio saying he wants to go to a winning team with a quarterback with a big arm newsworthy, that's that's all we've got for the NFL right now in terms of what's happened in the past couple of days. But, I mean, I don't know. if Have you heard a player say they want to be traded to a losing franchise without their quarterback situation figured out? I mean, I don't think so. So, I mean, that's... That's basically the gist of the NFL right now, waiting for either something to happen where Rodgers comes back to Green Bay, we hear something new that he does demand a trade, Julio Jones gets traded, otherwise the NFL is kind of just waiting for training camp to get going here. And so then for me, in the coming episodes for the NFL, I'll start to look at the the season and the schedule for every team. I'll start to put together my thoughts on, on maybe their potential record coming into the season. I like to wait a little bit into training camp. Of course, a lot of things can change in training camp. We'll get preseason games this year, and so that's why I'm, I'm taking my time with those as well, uh, determining who will make the roster for a lot of teams. But let's go ahead and get started then with the NBA. We'll get it started with our final series of the first round, and it involves the two greatest words in sports, Game 7 between the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic, and the Los Angeles Clippers, and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, there hasn't been a team that's won a home game yet in this series between the Mavericks and and the Clippers. It's just a very bizarre series. Both teams winning on the road, the Mavericks in in Los Angeles, and the Clippers in Dallas, of course. And just in Game 6, was it maybe last night or two nights ago, Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers were able to come away in a do-or-die Game 6, down 3-2, Kawhi Leonard puts up 45 points. He's able to slow down Luka Doncic a little bit. Still had over, I think, 25 points, close to 30 points there. But Kawhi put up 45 himself, got some help from Reggie Jackson with 25 points and stuff like that to force this Game 7. This Game 7 will be on Sunday. I believe I'm recording this on Saturday right now. So tomorrow, the next day, is when we'll get Game 7 between the Mavericks and the Clippers. This is... This has just been a fascinating series in both both ways because both teams can't win at home. Luka Doncic 
has been phenomenal throughout this entire series, even in this past game six when they couldn't uh, close this one out. There was a worry for a little bit that he had a neck strain, that he wasn't going to be able to play as well. Was able to come back the next uh, in game six, put up 43, 44 points or something like that to put them up 3-2. But either way, we got the series tied 3-3 in a game seven coming on Sunday. It's uh, winner moves on to face the Utah Jazz in the second round. The Clippers, they might have figured out a way to slow down Doncic a little bit in game six. I mean, he was over 30 points in all, almost all the other games that the Mavericks were winning and stuff like that. And the way they did it is Kawhi Leonard, finally, they the, what the, the, the Clippers did is they stopped switching on all of these screens that the Mavericks, that Luka was calling out. Luka was getting whatever defender he wanted on him. The Clippers would switch it, and that's what's made their defense really good in the past is that they are so versatile that they can switch, and they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who are considered, they haven't shown it in this postseason series, considered two of the better or best premier perimeter defenders in terms of small forwards, shooting guards, point guards. They can lock those guys up. They haven't been able to do it with Luka. He's been getting switches that he wants. So Kawhi Leonard in game six said, you know what, I'm not going to switch. He was able to slow down Luka a little bit there. And so we'll see what the Mavericks are able to do. They're going to have to adjust to it a little bit. And honestly, I like the, the Mavericks to win this series in game seven in Los Angeles. What the Mavericks are going to have to do now is find out a way to slow down Kawhi from dominating on both sides of the ball. What are they going to do on the offensive end to free up Luka Doncic so he can go over 30, 35 points? I think they're going to need that kind of performance from him in Game 7 on Sunday. They're also going to need to find a way to stop Kawhi Leonard from getting his shot on the other end. I don't know what it was if he just said, give me the ball, get out of my way. Actually, Here's one thing that, that the Mavericks did that, or I'm sorry, that the Clippers did that really helped is they they did a little bit of the Maverick strategy. They gave Kawhi Leonard the ball, and they got Luka Doncic to become the primary defender on Kawhi Leonard, and it was just kind of like a double-bladed double sword, double-aged, double-bladed sword for the Mavericks in that sense. Luka had to work extra hard on the offensive side because he had Kawhi guarding him, then on the defensive side, they weren't giving him a break. They were trying to make him the primary defender on Kawhi. He's not a great defender. So when he was guarding Kawhi, he'd have to work hard. He'd get tired out. And this was something that the that the Clippers did in Game 6 to adjust. Now the Dallas Mavericks will have to do that in Game 7. Or the Dallas Mavericks will have to adjust in Game 7 to free up Luka on the offensive side and make sure he doesn't become the primary defender uh, possession after possession on the defensive side to tire him out over there. That's what we'll have to see come game seven. I like the Dallas Mavericks to win it. They've won every road game so far. This one's going to be in Los Angeles. I think this is a, a big moment for Luka at the age of 22 or 23 that he's at right now. It's going to be really exciting to watch. And I think this is huge for the Los Angeles Clippers because this could mean a lot of different things. If they lose, Kawhi Leonard could end up leaving. He has the opt-out after this year. If he doesn't want to stay with the Clippers, then with new owner Steve Ballmer, they don't have a new stadium. They're planning on it, but he could also move the entire franchise of the Los Angeles Clippers if he doesn't feel like Los Angeles is the place for them. And I mean, we'll see what what. It, but this is there's a lot riding on this game. There's so much pressure on it for the Clippers in terms of what could go down in losing guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Both could be gone. 
possibly even the franchise could move out of Los Angeles. So, I mean, we'll have to see. But I, I really like the Dallas Mavericks coming out of this one with Luka Doncic. He's going to need some help from Tim Hardaway Jr., who has been huge in this series. Kristaps Porzingis is going to need to help him more on the offensive side as well, not just being a seven foot three shooter outside the three-point arc. He's got to get in the paint as well. And so we'll see what the Dallas Mavericks can do to adjust for this Game 7 come Sunday. I'm excited. It's uh, best words in sports right there, like I said, to start it off. Game 7 between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. That's our last series of Round 1. All of our other Round 1 series have wrapped up. We'll go through those really quick, and we'll uh, take an eye on what uh, is yet to come in Round 2. What we have, and this is the big one right here, the Phoenix Suns won games 5 and 6 to take the first-round series against the Los Angeles Lakers. They won Game 5 by 30 points, I or actually, no, yeah, 30 points. It was almost a 40-50 point blowout at one point to go up 3-2. Then in Game 6 in Los Angeles, they got off to another hot start. Devin Booker had 22 points, I think, in the first quarter. I mean, he had 47 points for the entire game to close out. The Los Angeles Lakers, Lakers averaged 30 points in the series, literally put the Suns on his back when Chris Paul got injured in this one and wasn't as effective on the offensive end. I mean, LeBron, I mean, Anthony Davis tried to give it a go in game six. He missed all of game five with a groin injury, tried to give it a go in this one in game six, only lasted about five minutes, and it was Phoenix the entire way. The Lakers tried to make it close. I think they got within 10 at one point, but then uh, the Suns took back the reins, and I think they won, ended up winning by 13 or 15 points or something like that. But the notable thing is here, the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers are bounced in the first round of the playoffs, first time that's happened since 2015. But the even more noteworthy thing is LeBron loses for the first time in his career in the first round. He's never lost a first-round series. He was 14-0 before this season. Now this year, Devin Booker and the Suns knock him out in the first round. Six games. You can you got to give all the Suns the credit here that they deserve. I mean, no matter the injuries, no matter anything. They, can't, they were down 2-1 in this series. Don't forget about that. We know Anthony Davis was out with an injury in Game 5. We know LeBron James was injured throughout this series as well, not 100%. But that's uh, we knew this season was going to be kind of like that. I mean, the the Lakers were kind of put in a bad situation from the beginning. They had the shortest off season in NBA history when it comes to the the season ended in October and the new season started in December. So I mean, I think with a full off season for LeBron and Anthony Davis to get healthy, you know they're going to add somebody in the off season as well, fix this roster a little bit and tweak it. You know they'll be back come next season, but it just didn't look like it was in the cards for the Lakers this year, no matter what. I mean, midway through the season, Anthony Davis missed 30, 35 games, then LeBron missed 20 to 25 games. But do not let that take away from what the Suns did in this series, even if Anthony Davis was out there for game five and game six, with both of the way that LeBron, I told, I mentioned this in in the last episode, how he didn't look the same attacking the basket. He got a little bit back to it in game five and six just barely but in game six more so but he still wasn't attacking it as much he wasn't looking to score once he got down there he didn't look the same even if Anthony Davis was there the Suns to me could have taken this series so they need all the credit that they deserve 
um, from winning this series against the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers. And LeBron probably doesn't like that this is the first time in his career that he's lost in the first round. So just an impressive series win from the Phoenix Suns. Hopefully Chris Paul can get uh, healthy and, and back to normal. He's not going to be normal throughout this entire postseason, but you want him as healthy as he can be heading if they can continue to go deep. I mean, right now we've got the Los Angeles Clippers on the ropes in Game 7 against the Mavericks. we got the Los Angeles Lakers out of the postseason right now. I mean, these were your two favorites to come out of the Western Conference. That's how wide open this Western Conference is right now. It's insane, and it's it's incredibly fun to watch. Incredibly fun to watch. Oh, my goodness between how wide open this this Western Conference series, this Western Conference is going to be between the teams that are left. You've got the Utah Jazz, you got the Phoenix Suns, the Denver Nuggets, and then you've also got between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. So, I mean, we'll see how that one shakes out. But now your two favorites, one is already bounced, and the other one is on the ropes right now. So, I mean, the Suns could now be one of the favorites to come out of the Western Conference. The way Devin Booker has been playing, averaging 30 points a game, Chris Paul... Hopefully he can still give you valuable minutes. Be that guy in the close games at the end of games to direct the offense. We saw that in game, what was it, maybe game two or game three against the Lakers where missing Chris Paul at the end of the game really affected how the Suns were able to run their offense near the end of the game. So hopefully he's healthy enough to be in in those crunch time minutes and lead the offense that way. DeAndre Ayton, their big center, he's been averaging around maybe, what, 15 to 18 points, a double-double in this entire series against the Lakers against guys like Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, Marcus All, guys like this. He's still dominating down in the paint. Then you got guys like Jay Crowder, Cameron Payne, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson. Those guys have been stepping up big for the Phoenix Suns as well. So they're clicking right now. You just got to hope the health stays there with Chris Paul and guys like that. So we'll see what's in store for the Phoenix Suns. But nonetheless, impressive, bouncing, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the defending champion, Los Angeles Lakers, out of the first round. What's next for them this upcoming offseason? We'll talk about that in next week's episode, see what's up next for LeBron and the Lakers. What's the move that they have to make this upcoming offseason? Another big series, this is one that I thought should have gone seven because I just wish we could have had that many games between these two teams. The Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. Denver outlast Damian Lillard and the Blazers in games five and six to advance to the second round. They win that series four to two. Nikola Jokic, the likely MVP this year, he had 36 points and 38 points in games five and six to combat Damian Lillard's insane 55 points in game five. He had 12 three-pointers in that game. That's a, an NBA playoff record right there. 55 points in a loss in game five. And then he also had, I think, another 30-point game in game six, still lost that one as well. That led the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic to the second round. I mean, this is this is a question you could ask for any team in the Western Conference. Should the Nuggets be considered the favorites to come out of the out of the West? I mean, they've got huge role players stepping up in this series with their second best player, Jamal Murray, out. I believe it's a torn ACL. He went out um, midway through the regular season this year, so. Guys like Michael Porter Jr., he had 26 points in the Game 6 this last, uh, this last what was it, two days ago now. He had 26 points in that game, 22 of them in the first quarter. He hit six threes in the first corner. He's been stepping up huge. He's clearly 
their third best player when Jamal Murray's healthy right now, acting as their second best player and doing a phenomenal job at it. Monte Morris, one of their shooting guards, he's been putting up 20 plus points in this series as well. Aaron Gordon is another guy stepping up. Big trade acquisition right there for the Denver Nuggets. They've got all these guys stepping up with Jamal Murray out. If they had Jamal Murray with these guys having these kind of performances, I know they wouldn't be the same performances because Murray would be taking extra shots away from these guys, but if they had Jamal Murray, the Nuggets would be my clear favorite to come out of the West without him. But these guys still stepping up big, I think they can make it to the Western Conference Finals. They'll face the Phoenix Suns in the next round. So you'll have Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Michael Porter Jr., Chris Paul, Monte Morris. This will be a star-studded second round playoff matchup here between the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Nikola Jokic, your likely MVP, and then you got Devin Booker who can go off for 50 points any night. So one of those two teams is going to have to is going to bow out in the second round unfortunately, and one will move on to the Western Conference Finals, but that should be a really fun one. Taking a look really quick back at the at the Portland Trailblazers here in this first round. This is their I believe fourth time in the last five years that they've lost in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, one year they made it to the Western Conference Finals, but what does Portland do now? They've mutually agreed to part ways with head coach Terry Stotts. I believe he was their coach there for nine years, made the playoffs the last eight years, but they just haven't been able to do anything, and they've got one of the top 10 players in in the NBA right now in Damian Lillard. I just mentioned it. He had 55 points 12 three-pointers in that Game 5 loss to the Denver Nuggets here. I think 55 points is tied for, what, third most in postseason history, something like that, or maybe tied for fifth most in postseason history. I mean, and then he's, he's Damian Lillard's gone on social media and posts about how long can you stay loyal. He, he was quoting uh, Nipsey Hussle. I don't know the quote exactly, but he was quoting the late, great Nipsey Hussle in, in, in what the cryptic message was. It wasn't very... Uh, sly or whatever the word is that I'm trying to use here. But the point is he's been loyal to Portland, but he hasn't been able to win there. And the question becomes, does Damian Lillard get traded out of Portland? Do these teams, and there's been reports out that a lot of major market teams, the Knicks, the Miami Heat, the Los Angeles Clippers potentially, the Los Angeles Lakers possibly as well, these teams looking to possibly trade for Damian Lillard if he becomes available because he becomes disgruntled in Portland. And I think, in my personal opinion, either the the Portland Trailblazers have to trade everybody on their team and get another top 20 player to go alongside Damian Lillard, or they need to get him out of there because Damian Lillard needs to win in the postseason. He's been performing huge in the postseason. He's made it to the Western Conference Finals once, and I think he went up against the Golden State Warriors when it was Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and those Golden State Warriors, which obviously nobody was going to beat them that year. But still, I think uh, Damian Lillard is a guy to watch this NBA offseason. Absolutely. He would be the biggest name traded um, if he were traded this upcoming offseason. So that's one to watch. I love Damian Lillard. He's one of my top five favorite players, but he needs more help either in Portland or he needs to get out of Portland and we'll see what what his story or what unfolds there with Damian Lillard. But the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns, those, that is one of our matchups for the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. 
we'll 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 come to who I think ends up winning that one next week as well. But it'll be really fun with the Nuggets coming off of two great two straight great wins against uh, Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, where the Phoenix Suns they kind of cruised through the Los Angeles Lakers. Actually, they won three straight against the Los Angeles Lakers. They won game four in Los Angeles, won game five, blowing them out in Phoenix, and then they won game six pretty handedly as well in Los Angeles. So both teams really hot right now coming into that second round of the playoffs. All right, let's move over to the Eastern Conference then. We've got the Bucks. They swept the Miami Heat to avenge last year's bubble loss. That was That seems like a week and a half ago now at this point. It was a while ago. And then the Brooklyn Nets, they took care of the Boston Celtics in five games, setting up for a fantastic second-round series. I teased this early on when I was uh, starting off the show, but this right here, the the Brooklyn Nets, the number two seed in the East versus the Milwaukee Bucks, this will be the best series in the postseason this cycle, this year, actually, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. This is going to be a fantastic series. I mean, you've got Brooklyn's big three of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, they are clicking right now. Averaging, They were averaging, I think, 85 combined points, the three of them, in that first-round series against the Boston Celtics. I think 85 points combined between the three of them is the most in NBA history for a trio like that. I don't know how Milwaukee can collectively slow down all three of them because all three have it all. Kevin Durant, Harden, and Irving, they can all hit the three-pointer. They can all drive past defenders. They've got mid-range they can get to the foul line. They're all 90% free throw shooters. It is very impressive. And what what I did not expect them to be able to do what they did in that first round and how well they clicked. Because like I said, I mentioned, can they all gel together with little time in the regular season that they had to work on it? Now, the Milwaukee Bucks are a different are a different defensive team than the Boston Celtics were. The Milwaukee Bucks are a much better team than the Boston Celtics. So this will be a huge challenge, obviously, for Brooklyn. But the thing, too, that Milwaukee has as an advantage over Brooklyn is the size. Brooklyn really doesn't have a center that they trust. I mean, they use DeAndre Jordan. They can't really trust him that well. He's not as athletic as he was when he was with the Los Angeles Clippers. He's not the same defensive presence by far that he was with the Los Angeles Clippers as well. They've got Blake Griffin. He's nowhere near the player that he was when he was with Los Angeles as well. I mean, Giannis averaged 40 points per game in the three regular season matchups that they had against the Brooklyn Nets. I believe Milwaukee won two out of those three. So, I mean, is Milwaukee just going to have to outscore Brooklyn to win this one? One thing that they have against them, like I said, is the size of Brook Lopez, Giannis, Chris Middleton, they've got another great defender in P.J. Tucker. They've got a top-five defender in Drew Holiday. So this is going to be a big defensive challenge for the Bucks. It's also going to be a really good challenge for the Brooklyn Nets in that big three. Both teams have had a lot of time to prepare for each other now. The Bucks have had at least five days to prepare for the Brooklyn Nets in this game one. Game one is actually tonight, Saturday night, in about three, four hours or something like that. But I mean, Milwaukee's got kind of a new big three of their own in Giannis, averaging almost 40 against the Nets. Chris Middleton, good for 20, 25 points a game. And then you got Drew Holiday, who in this first-round series 
against the Miami Heat. He averaged 16 points and almost 10 assists in that four-game sweep. So, I mean, Miami, or I'm sorry, Milwaukee let some demons out on the Miami Heat to avenge last year's bubble loss. They wanted to face Miami in this first round. We'll see what they can do. Drew Holiday is a major upgrade over Eric Bledsoe, which was a big thing that the Milwaukee Bucks wanted to do this go-around in this season. So we'll see if they've put it all together, if Mike Budenholzer has made the adjustments, if he can continue to make the adjustments in the series, if the Bucks lose game one, if they've lose the first two. We've seen teams that lose the first two games. I mean, the Los Angeles Clippers, for example, they're not out of the series by any means. So don't freak out if the Bucks lose the first ser- or lose the first game. If they lose the second game, but they didn't make any adjustments, that's where the concern comes in. So we'll have to see how Milwaukee's big three can keep pace with the Nets' big three. Then you got to have the role players of Milwaukee, like a Brooke Lopez in the paint, protecting it when James Harden gets down in there, or when Kyrie Irving dances on his defender out on the on the perimeter. Brooke Lopez in the middle of the paint there, also going to have to hit some threes. P.J. Tucker, you know he's going to match up against Kevin Durant a lot, how he'll do against Kevin Durant and in that sense on the defensive side. Then the Milwaukee Bucks also have to make up for Dante DiVincenzo, their starting shooting guard. He went down in the first series against the Miami Heat game three, I think. He's out for the rest of the postseason as well. How will Milwaukee replace his production as well? It'll be really interesting. This game, This series, I think, is going to go seven games. Here's my prediction for this series as well. Winner of this series right here, Milwaukee Bucks, Brooklyn Nets, will go on to be the NBA champion. Not only will they make it out of the East, the winner of this series is going to go on to be the NBA champion. I mean, we've got injuries in the Eastern Conference, which we'll talk about in a second with the 76ers. We've got star power for both of these teams. I mean, if Brooklyn wins, they've got Durant, Harden, Irving, probably maybe the best trio we've seen since LeBron, D. Wade and Chris Bosh. I mean, they're maybe even before that, this trio has been argued as if it's better. We've got the matchups that go in the favor of both of these teams. This is going to be the hardest hardest matchup, I believe, for either one of these teams, the rest of the playoffs, whichever one wins. That's that's kind of my prediction. I don't think it's that bold. People think also think that this whoever wins this series could go on to be the NBA champion. I don't I mean there's no more LeBron you have to go through. And here we'll, we'll get to it right now. The 76ers, they beat the Wizards in five games. They'll face the Atlanta Hawks, who defeated the New York Knicks in five games. But Joel Embiid was injured for the final game of the series for the Philadelphia 76ers. They had the best record in the Eastern Conference. But now their MVP caliber center is possibly hampered, and we're not sure how healthy he'll be for the rest of this postseason. Hopefully it's not a major injury. But say they do, they are able to move past the Atlanta Hawks and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. If he's still injured in any capacity, that is going to slow down Philadelphia so much that I don't think they'll be able to bounce back against a team that has Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, or a team that has Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Uh, These other teams don't have that kind of star power. And if the Philadelphia 76ers, who could almost match these two other teams if their best player is less than 90 percent i don't think they have a chance that's why i think the winner of the brooklyn nets and the milwaukee bucks is going to go on to be the nba champion so let's go on to this this other uh, eastern conference matchup here well like i said we got the 76ers versus the atlanta hawks 
The Atlanta Hawks just blitzed through the New York Knicks in five games. Trey Young, in his first postseason appearance, was very impressive to me. I mean, he went into Madison Square Garden, which is not an easy place to play for an opponent, and he showed up big time, and he did not shy away from the limelight in New York. I mean, you saw him take a bow in the last game as well. I mean, he has been playing fantastic so far this postseason. Joel Embiid and the 76ers were able to get past the Washington Wizards in five games, even with Joel Embiid out for that final game. He missed game five. My question is, can the 76ers still get past the Atlanta Hawks? These guys are really young. Got a young core of offensive players as well in Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich. They got Danilo Gallinari as their veteran presence. They got Clint Capella, who's been in postseason games as well. John Collins is another young guy on this team. But if Joel Embiid is out, do the Philadelphia 76ers still have enough to get past Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks? And I'll tell you what, with Joel Embiid healthy, I think this would be a five-game series in favor of the 76ers. They'd have no problems. Maybe six games. Maybe they lose two games. Maybe they're up 3-1 and they lose game six, game five, I'm sorry. But if Joel Embiid is out, I think this could go seven games, and I honestly could see the Atlanta Hawks winning this series if Joel Embiid has to miss multiple games. If he's in there, I think that even if he's in there at 85-90%, I would give the 76ers this series. But the way that Trey Young has been playing right now with the swagger that he's been playing, the confidence that he's been playing with as well, it's unbelievable the performances that he's putting up. He's averaging almost 30 points per game as well in that first series against the New York Knicks, 10 assists. I mean, the young guys in this postseason has just been phenomenal. We know what Luka Doncic could do. We saw it last year in the NBA bubble. He's 22, and he's averaging 30 points per game. Trey Young, like I just mentioned, he's averaging 30 points per game as well. You got John Morant in the Western Conference for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's averaging close to 30 points per game. You got Devin Booker for the Phoenix Suns. He's averaging 30. We just saw... Jason Tatum, in his maybe third, second or third postseason, go up against the the Brooklyn Nets. He had a 50-point game in that one. He had a 50-point game in the play-in game. These young guys are just taking the league by storm in this postseason where some of the older players like LeBron, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, some of these guys are taking, not taking a step back. They're not letting them win. But you're just seeing these young guys just take over. And Trey Young is not afraid of the limelight. We saw that in round one which is why if Joel Embiid is not healthy, if he has to miss a few games, I don't know how where the 76ers are going to be able to find the offense. Their defense is still fantastic with Joel Embiid out. Their defense gets better, and their offense is exponentially better with Joel Embiid in the lineup. So we'll have to see how, where his health stands come game one. I think game one for them is either, it's going to, either going to be this upcoming Sunday or Monday, so in a day or two for that first round series. But that I mean that second round series should be really exciting to watch. Our last one, the Jazz defeated the Grizzlies in 5 games. They won 4 straight. This is my favorite right now to come out of the Western Conference. They've got all their guys almost healthy at this point. Donovan Mitchell has been back for those 4 straight games. He looks really good. He looks like he can explode. There's another young guy exploding in in this uh, postseason even though we've seen him in the postseason before but now he's averaging close to 30 as well they got donovan mitchell for scoring on offense then they've got one of the top five defenses in the nba anchored by rudy gobert who's likely to be the defensive player of the year 
Hopefully Mike Conley's injury, their other uh, starting guard, isn't uh, too bad and he won't be able to miss many games. But right now the Utah Jazz, they're clicking on all cylinders. Um, they could be the favorites to come out of the West. They had the best record in the NBA this season. Watch out for the Utah Jazz. They'll face in the second round the winner of that Dallas Mavericks Los Angeles Clippers game seven. That's who they'll get. So, that I mean, they've had a couple of days rest. Whoever wins that game seven is going to come off of a grueling seven-game series, which should give the Jazz the advantage in the first game at least, maybe the first two games as well since they'll be at home in Utah. So we'll see how all that pans out. But right now that's our, our second-round matchups. We got in the Eastern Conference the number one seed, 76ers, versus the number five seed, Atlanta Hawks. We've got the number two seed Brooklyn Nets versus the number three seed Milwaukee Bucks. Probably going to be our best matchup of the postseason this year. In the Western Conference then, we've got the one seed Jazz waiting on the winner of the Clippers-Mavericks series. And then we've got the two seed Phoenix Suns versus the three seed Denver Nuggets. Great basketball that we've had so far this postseason. I can't wait for the second round. I can't wait for game seven as well. The Milwaukee Bucks... And the Brooklyn Nets, their game one of round two starts uh, tonight, I believe, in a couple of hours. So I can't wait to watch that as well. All right. Let's move on now to the NHL playoffs. They are on to round two. Here's our second round matchups. Right now we've got the New York Rangers versus the Boston Bruins. The Bruins, they lead that series, I believe it's two to one. Then we've also got... The Hurricane versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning lead that series right now, 2-0. The Colorado Avalanche versus the Vegas Golden Knights. I think that series is now at 2-1, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, the Avalanche, or I'm sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights just won Game 3 last night. And then our last second-round series is between the Winnipeg Jets and the Montreal Canadiens, where the Canadiens lead that series 1-0 as well. All right. We've got, we've had, I mean, 19 overtime matches so far. This is what I was talking about when it, when playoff hockey is the best. I mean, you don't see these kind of games in any other sport, in football, in basketball, in soccer, or in baseball as well. I mean, you don't see this kind of, I mean, the postseason is great for all major four sports. And if you include soccer as well, the playoffs are the, are the best. But when it comes to ranking them between the NFL, the NBA, NHL and in the MLB, I, I think the playoffs rank at the top when it comes to this. I mean, we've got right now the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche. To me, those look those two teams look really strong midway through the second round of the playoffs. I mean, the Avalanche cruised through their first round series where they swept their first round opponent, the St. Louis Blues. I believe the Blues won the title, was it two two years ago now? Maybe three years ago. But I mean they are cruising right now through the playoffs. The Tampa Bay Lightning are another strong team as well. I mean, Carolina Hurricanes is, is their opponent in this second round. I think the Lightning, did they maybe win in four games in their first round series or five games? But either way, they won the first two games. Carolina was able to survive the second or the third game to make the series 2-1. to one. But, I mean, Tampa Bay is 12-3 and three all time in this series between the Lightning and the Hurricanes. I mean, they got out to that 2-1 lead. The game four is tonight, so we'll see who uh, if Carolina can make it interesting. But, I, I mean, Tampa Bay right now looks like the stronger team in that series as well. But, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche, they might have the best player in all of hockey right now, and Nathan McKinnon, he has been great in this postseason. I mean, 
the other who's the other guy? Is it Austin Matthews? I'm thinking of I'm missing one guy. Or Connor McDavid. Those are the those are probably the three best players right now in hockey. But Nathan McKinnon has been the one that's doing it in the postseason, which could give him the the title as best player in all of hockey right now. But I mean that's and that's why not but that's why the Colorado Avalanche look like the team to beat when it comes to the NHL postseason right now. And actually I mistook before when I said the Montreal Canadiens had a 1-0 lead on the Winnipeg Jets. They actually have a 2-0 lead. They won last night's game, game two, to take a 2-0 series lead right there, which is interesting. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets, they swept their first-round series as well to get into the second round. So we'll see. Maybe it was too long of, of a time off or something like that. But the Winnipeg Jets are going to have to come back against the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, 1-0 game. Like, this is how close these games are. None of these games are blowouts. Like, like I said, the Avalanche lost game three to the Vegas Golden Knights. It was a 3-2 game. I mean, it's just incredible uh, how close and how exciting a lot of these games can be. But that's where we're at right now. What did I say? We've got the New York Rangers, Boston Bruins. The Bruins lead that one 2-1. Carolina Hurricane versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning lead that one 2-1, not 2-0. That's where I was mistaken before. The Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Avalanche lead that series 2-1. And then the Jets and the Canadians, and the Canadians lead that one 2-0 yeah, at this point. I mean, you got the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're looking to defend their title from last year as well. Like I said, looking strong against the Carolina Hurricane. We'll see how this goes. But playoff hockey is phenomenal phenomenal to watch. So I, I suggest, highly suggest you watch some of these second round matchups. All right. Final thought then today on this episode of the final, final podcast, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, longtime head coach for the Duke Blue Devils, has announced that he will be retiring following this upcoming season of college basketball. I mean, so he'll have 43 seasons coaching at Duke. He has over a thousand wins. I think he's top three all time for college coach wins in NCAA history. He has 12 Final Four appearances, five national titles, 35 NCAA tournament berths, and 67 players drafted into the NBA. I mean, you got superstars like Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving. Those are the first couple that come to mind when when you talk about players in the NBA currently that used to play under Coach K. He's also been a part of five Olympic gold medal teams. This is, I mean, these have got to be the biggest shoes in coaching sports history, not just college, but of all time to fill, right? And I mean, Duke has announced who will be the replacement following Coach K after this season. It'll be John Shire, an assistant with the Duke Blue Devils right now. I believe he's been on the team for eight plus years, actually used to play under uh, Coach K back in, ooh, was it maybe 2008, 2009? Maybe around that time is when he was uh, playing for Coach K. Then he became an assistant with him a couple of years after he graduated as well. These have got to be the biggest shoes in coaching sports history. Um, I tell you what, I don't know if it was Coach K or some of the players, but just something about Duke, and it's, it's great when he's on the sidelines because uh, it just makes it better, but it, Duke is one of the most hated teams in all of college basketball. And I, like I said, I don't know if it's because of Coach K or some of the players on there. But the reason everybody can hate on Duke is because of how good they are every year. And you don't hate Coach K for the person that he is. You hate um, the accomplishments that he has. You hate him 
so much that you respect him is is kind of the word and that's that happens to a lot of guys i mean you see it with lebron james people hate him so much because of the success he has um michael jordan i'm sure a lot of people had that for him as well barry bonds all these greats you what's that line from anchorman that i love so much he's like Oh, when when he's about to push Ron Burgundy over into the bear cage, he like grabs him and he's he's got a hold of him. And he's like, "Damn it, I hate you, Ron Burgundy." Or he's like, "I hate you, Ron Burgundy." He's like, "But damn it, do I respect you?" That's exactly how I feel with uh, Coach K and a lot of these, uh, a lot of a lot of. I feel like that's how a lot of people feel about these great players, great coaches, and in people that are having all this success. If it's not for your team, of course, but. It, I don't know how, how Duke is going to replace with John Shire, if he's going to be able to just step right in how their recruiting goes. But this is, uh, this is a big, big announcement for NCAA basketball because Duke has been a staple, has been a blue blood for college basketball for 45 years, 42 years at least since Coach K has coached there. Um, so, I mean, and, and then now the question becomes, is he the greatest college basketball coach of all time and he is certainly in the conversation with like I just mentioned his uh resume right there or his uh accolades of over a thousand wins, twelve final fours, and five national titles. It's gonna be an interesting season. We'll see how Coach K and the Duke Blue Devils go out on his uh last ride or last dance. That's the new term that everyone's using now when someone retires, thanks to Michael Jordan's documentary, but the last dance. For Coach K, when you know um, it's going to be the last go-around for him this year, but that is big news coming out of the college basketball world. We'll see how uh, they do in his final season. But hats off to Coach K on a fantastic career coaching for Duke. I mean, he had opportunities, I'm sure, every year to go coach in the NBA. I mean, you saw his how he coached NBA players when, the, and, and this is superstar teams on the Olympic squad. So he easily could have i think made the transition to the nba uh coaching gig anytime he wanted to but he turned it down and he stayed at duke and he uh, has made quite the legacy maybe one of the best legacies of all time in the coaching world staying with the duke blue devils all those years all right my final final thought then today on this episode of the final final podcast fan behavior at some of these recent nba games has just astounded me how some of these fans and people have acted at these games like it's their first time out of the house in a year and a half. And I know that quarantine and all that has been coming to an end, but I know you've been out of the house and seeing people before that. We all have, thank goodness. But when people going to these games are acting like it's the first time they've interacted with anybody in the last 10 years, the way that they've been acting. I mean, take a load at some of these things that have been happening. We've had fan who spit on Trey Young at a New York Knicks game in New York at Madison Square Garden. Unbelievable. We had a fan throwing a water bottle at Kyrie Irving in Boston. We had racist remarks towards Ja Morant in Utah. We've had popcorn dumped on Russell Westbrook in Philly, I believe. And then we had a fan run onto the court in Philadelphia. That one's not as bad to me. I mean, he was tackled before he got there. Of course, I don't know what he was going to do once he got on the court, but... All these, all these, what is going on with these fans being let back into the stadium? Did they forget how to act? Like, I don't understand why they think if, does this mean this is acceptable behavior? Like, do they think this is okay? I mean, we had the guy, the fan throwing the water bottle in Boston. He got arrested and he's going to be charged for that. I mean, now it looks pretty stupid that you threw a water bottle at one of these players. I mean, 
We know fans wouldn't do this if they were meeting these players out on the streets. Do you think you're protected in these stadiums because players can't really fight back? I mean, we've seen we've seen the videos of Meta World Peace back in the day. It was Ron Artest when he would go into the stands and fight these fans. I mean, obviously nowadays players don't do that because of the repercussions that would be thrown on them from the NBA and from the media and the public. But where do these fans get off thinking this is okay for them to do because they are protected, they're not going to be attacked by that player or something like that? Eventually, one of these players isn't going to care about what the NBA does to them. They'll retaliate in the stadium. In my opinion, the NBA shouldn't punish them if that happens. But, I mean, that'll teach the fans to stay in their place. But what is going on with this a fan spitting on Trey Young? I mean, these players, nobody is coming into your place of work, wherever you work, and belittling you, spitting on you, throwing things at you, dumping popcorn on you. They wouldn't do that in your place of work. You have the privilege to watch these guys. You want to watch these players play, play basketball. You paid to go watch them do their profession. Why are you treating it like it's your right to be there and then treating them as if it's inhum- in an inhumane way just because they are on the court, you are watching them perform their job, and then all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, I'm going to spit on this player. It's just astounding to me where these fans get off. And obviously it's giving a bad rap to all these other very respectable fans who are courtside, who are sitting wherever, but where are, are a lot of these fans getting off and doing some of this is, is blowing my mind. I hope when it comes time for the NFL stadiums, they're going to be full stadiums uh, this upcoming season, that fans remember how to act when it comes to attending a sporting event. I mean, of course, there's, there, there's taunting and booing and jeering as long as it stays within the boundaries of what's reasonable on when you're booing these players. Nothing personal on their families, of course, you hope. Um, I hope nothing gets thrown at these players in the NFL as well. And, and my other thing is you don't see that happen much in the NFL or the NHL, not much in baseball as well. Is it because these guys in the NBA don't have the pads, don't have the equipment, don't have the helmet, that these fans think, oh, I can, I can do this, it'll have more effect, or I'm not as afraid of an NBA player because of he's not wearing the protection or the pads, then he, may, he won't attack me or I, I can fight myself back, which they can't, by the way, these NBA players, if they were to retaliate, wouldn't take any shit from these fans. But it's just astounding to me what has been going on with some of this fan behavior in these recent NBA games. Hopefully the league and, and these stadiums can get it under control for the rest of the playoffs, but it was just disgraceful to watch in this first round of these NBA playoff games. It was taking away from some of the fantastic basketball that I was talking about earlier is these fans interact like spitting on Trey Young or throwing water bottles and dumping popcorn on on Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook is just ridiculous to me and I um I hopefully the NBA and and these stadiums get it figured out for the second round of the playoffs so we don't have to talk about it moving forward but all right that's what I, I just wanted to get that off my chest it was just very frustrating to see um in this first round of the NBA playoffs but that's all I have for you on this episode of the final final podcast thanks for sticking with me next week we'll see if we have any new nfl news maybe we start diving into looking at some team schedules right now teams still don't even have full rosters for training camp yet which is why we're not sure how some of these rosters will shape up come time for the training camp and preseason games which i'm excited for this season we'll also continue to talk about 
the NBA playoffs as the second round will be fully underway. We'll have every team playing in the second round by the next episode as well. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe out there. And this is the final final.